Bloody Elbow presents the sixth round post-fight show, which gives you a rundown and full analysis of the bouts that took place on this weekend's UFC event. Hey everybody, welcome back to the sixth round post-fight show with me, Zane Tyron, and my co-host, as always, Eddie Mercado. We are here once again coming to you guys just from the conclusion of UFC Fight Night. Alexa Grasso versus Viviani Araujo, UFC Vegas 62 going down at the Apex facility in Las Vegas, Nevada. Headlined, capped off by a woman's flyweight top contenders bout between Alexa Grasso and Viviani Araujo, which uh, it was one. It ended up being one of those low simmer fights where you keep waiting for something to pop off and it just just never does. Yeah, it, it's it was one of those chess match, matches where there was a lot of respect going on here and kind of a lot at stake. So neither fighter really wanted to, to overexpose themselves or open up into a way that might get them caught. Yeah. Um, so so a very reserved uh, yet calculated, a very disciplined performance from both fighters. Mm-hmm. Um, but that you know can when when there aren't any wow moments to add on top of that. It can be, it can, it can leave you wanting, we'll say. Yeah, but I, I mean, mean, solid fight. It was all right. Yeah, it's just one of those things that, like, you know, if if either woman was hoping to secure a title shot off a fight like this, it's not going to happen. Um, yeah, I mean, maybe this is flyweight. This sure, is, but it does it, not take much of anything. A little streak will get you a shot at Shevchenko. It's true. It's true. But you know, I. Any anybody else puts on any better fight and they will get the opportunity instead. Yeah, like any any sort of like spectacular wow moment. Yeah, which you this may one see Barber, Men on Firo, you know, whoever comes out and just like does something fun, even though Grasso's got a win over Barber, but you know, somebody else comes out and just has like a cool fight, and the UFC would be, I'm sure, happy to shelve title hopes here. True, but on the same token, they can go fight Mexico and put her on there in a co-main event with Shevchenko and do just fine. Yeah, I wonder. So, I, I wonder if the UFC is actually going to return to Mexico anytime soon, considering, I think, was it the last time they went that ever, that the Octagon got showered with trash? Oh, did it? Damn. I missed yeah, that. Yeah, for the year Rodriguez-Jeremy Stevens fight. Uh, I'm sure they'll be fine. <laughs> Just saying. I don't know. I don't know if the UFC's rushing back there. But um Yeah, it was an it was an okay fight. I don't know. It just, you know. With a with a fight card like this, you really are banking kinda on entirely on the main event, really taking it up a notch, and it didn't. No, it didn't. Um, but I mean, I guess I'm understanding. Sure. You know, I feel like Grasso, it, she just fought like she had a lot of pressure on her for this one. Yeah. yeah. Um, and she seemed really relieved when it was over. But I thought, yeah. I mean, she fought really intelligent. You know, sure. what she had to do here was was stay disciplined, stay focused, um, you know, trust in her technique and and not allow someone who was more powerful to walk her down and just tee off on her. And yeah. Grosser did just that. Yeah. She stood her I, ground when she had to. She moved out when she had to. And um, she's just the cleaner, more polished striker. Yeah, I will say I'm, I'm 100% uh, pleasantly surprised that the judges just, rec- just rewarded the cleaner, more technical fighter in this one. As it should be. 
on the stats, on the numbers themselves, there wasn't a lot to actually separate the two of them, you know? It it was a disciplined performance from Grasso, but she got hit almost exactly as many times as she hit her opponent. It's just she was cleaner. It, her strikes were better, and uh, judges saw that. So I'm happy to see it, you know, too. Yeah, because there there were so many jabs exchanged here, right? Like, mm-hmm. just so many jabs on both sides. But I feel like Grasso was the one that was putting her cross behind it. She was the one that would leap in with a hook. She was just doing more, mixing the occasional leg kick. She just had more wrinkles in her game. Yeah. And Araja was, it seemed like she was trying to set something up off of the jab, but it just never, that that secondary strike just never came to fruition for her. She never found her moment. Yeah. Overall, not a bad, not a bad fight. Just, you know, it doesn't end the night with a wow moment. Before that, no, though, it, 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 didn't, it didn't have that main event feel to it. No, no, it didn't. But that's okay. It's a fight night. You know, you're trying to. That, that, I mean, that's kind of, I guess, why in, in the same moment, too, I'm being a, feeling a little like underwhelmed, especially for Grasso's sake, because like this is your main event. This is your main event moment. This is your opportunity for these fighters who to, to turn themselves into the kind of people the UFC wants to put on pay per view. And this just didn't feel like that, you know? No, but you got to dance with the one that brought you. Sure. And I think sure. she did just that. Yeah, no, she got, she did the important thing, which is winning. Yeah. I can't, I can't complain too hard about that. Just before that though, Bantamweight bout, Jonathan Martinez, Cub Swanson, Swanson taking a drop down to 135 pounds and, uh, Credit to Martinez, because he was pretty much right. He was just like, that. you know, I don't think he knows how fast people are down here. I don't think he knows how strong they are down here. And uh, Martinez was the faster, stronger, bigger-hitting dude in the cage. Yeah, I wondered how that was going to look with with Cub going down to 35. Um, Mm -hmm. Someone who's already an aged fighter, who's who's predominantly a striker, moving down to where guys have better hand speed. I was really just, I didn't know how that was going to pan out for him. Yeah. And uh, it didn't pan out well, man. No, He got TKO'd with leg kicks yeah. of all things. And I mean, I think he had the right, Cub had the right idea. He was trying to storm Martinez a lot, take the kicking range away. Martinez is not very good defensively when he's on his back foot. When mm-hmm. he's backing up, he doesn't. Linear. Yeah, he, he tends to move in straight lines. He tends to drop his hands a bit. You know, he doesn't have the best instincts for defense when he's in retreat. But Martinez, I think, made a really smart adjustment in this fight that changed the entire complexion of how of what Cub was trying to do, which is whenever Cub would step in and try to be like, okay, well, I'm going to I'm going to pressure. I'm going to push you back. I'm going to get you off these kicks. Martinez would just clinch him up. And the moment Cub tried to step out of the clinch, Martinez had a whole variety of clinch exit strikes prepared that absolutely wrecked Swanson. Yeah. And yeah, especially that knee. Yeah, he had that, he had that step had elbows knee. that he was hit landing when Cub would step in, too. And, Honestly, man, uh, they could have stopped the fight. At the oh, end yeah. of the first round, when Cub went down from that knee and Martinez mm-hmm. is just pounding away, like looking at the ref, like, what are we doing here? Yeah, no, if it had been, if there had been two seconds left, two two more seconds left on the clock, that fight would have been done. Yeah. But, uh, 
That's why it's such a crazy shift for, from Swanson almost getting finished just from, you know, taking blows to the head to to Cub getting stopped with leg kicks. Yeah. Like, yikes, man. Well, that's I mean, kind of, that's rough. Yeah, it shows you why Swanson was in the position in the position to eat those clinch strikes because he was a, he knew what he was trying to avoid. What he was trying to avoid was standing out of kicking range with Jonathan Martinez. Mm-hmm. And the moment he was forced into it, the moment he got hurt bad enough that he couldn't stay in the clinch anymore, he had to try and make this a range striking battle. Just got chewed up. Yeah, Swanson did not look good here. Um, and he again, he's you know he was in the WEC. He's he's a veteran. Oh yeah, you know, thirty eight years old. He's been there, done that. Um, I thought I, th- I was a little shocked he moved down. Honestly, I don't know yeah. what the reason was for that. I mean, I the thing like part of it, he's the same. He was the same size as Martinez, same height, same reach. You know, like I'm sure it's one of those things where he just thought, hey, you know what, I. I've fought every single person in the featherweight division already. I've won all the fights I'm going to win. I've lost all the fights I'm going to lose. I should try something else. I guess. I guess. But, uh, yeah, it, it, it wasn't, it, it, it does not, this does not, uh, spell, spell good things for him long-term. I, yeah, I, I don't know if he'll even stay there, honestly. Yeah. I mean, like why kill yourself to make thirty five when you know you're you're at this stage of your career? Yeah. Like usually this is when guys are moving up. There are yeah. exceptions like Aldo, but yeah, but, pretty much guys are guys are moving up as they age, not moving down to where guys are quicker and have better reflexes and uh, you know just better timing, I guess. Yeah, I don't I don't know. Yeah, I don't know what what's going to be left for Cub after this. Is, does he want to just you know try to craft his way through and find a bunch of sort of veterans that he can have showcase outings again? You know, see if he can get Alex Caceres or somebody like that in the cage up at featherweight or Hani Yaya or something. I don't know. Dude, he's been fighting since uh, 2004. That's 18 years in the game. Yeah. And he's been fighting at the top. Like he's been yeah. fighting legitimate high level fighters since no 07. Mm-hmm. Dude has seen everything. He's uh he's got a win, knockout win over Charles Oliveira. Yep. He's got wins over Dustin Poirier, Jeremy Stevens. Like he's a legend, man. I can't yeah. I am shocked that he's still plugging away. He's like he's on that Shogun Hua tip. Yeah, no, it's. I mean, he, you know, to be fair to him too, even even in this fight, he's been getting he's been getting rocked to the head more often, but he's still not getting knocked out with punches. You know, he's not getting. He is not. He has not been clean knocked out due to to you know strikes to the chin since Jose Aldo in two thousand nine. He's been trying though. <laughs> hey, I mean, that. it's gonna start happening. He got, yeah, he got dropped a couple times in this one. Yeah. After the fight, Jonathan Martinez called out Dominic Cruz, and you could hear the excitement, the palpable excitement in Cruz's voice for that call out. You know, um, probably won't happen. It's that no. when Dom responded, he he sounded way more like, 
Uh, young Buck, get back in there. It was like a smack on the ass. Like, hey, good game, guys. Well, uh, you know, yeah, no, that's Bruce, adorable, but get your ass back at the back of the line. Bruce is a coming off a pretty hard loss, and b like he doesn't. Cruz has never Dominic Cruz has never thought a day in his life about fighting Jonathan Martinez. And at this mm-hmm. stage in his career, you know that Dominic Cruz is only going to take fights that he's been thinking about, that he's been dreaming of, that feel like they would be really great for him because he doesn't have that many fights left. It's not going to be, you know, Casey Kenny caught him at just in, in like just the right moment apparently. It's not going to be Jonathan Martinez. No. Uh, it would be really surprising if it is. Yeah. That said, I would like to see Jonathan Martinez maybe fight like Pedro Munoz or something. Yeah, sure. That's you know? a, he's always a tough out. It's a good test to see if he's ready, uh, you know, to make a march towards the title. Yeah. I don't want to get ahead of myself, but. But, it, it, you know, at some point, too, like, Martinez is. He's like eight and three in the featherweight and the bantamweight division now, and he's been in there for four years. He's had a lot of fights. He's one of the he's one of the most tenured fighters in the bantamweight division at this point. Like in the top fifteen to twenty of a, a group of seventy in terms of experience in the UFC. So yeah, fun. and he's got a nice run. He's a mm-hmm. he's on a four fight winning streak, so he's got a, a really sweet run going. I think it's time for him to, you know, step up and see, start yeah. making a march. See how see how far out away from shore he can swim, you know? There we go. All right. For that middleweight bout, Dushko Todorovic, Jordan Wright, and um, man, if ever a fight went exactly the way it was always going to play out, <laughs> this fight went exactly the way it was always going to play out. Yeah, uh, I went with Wright. I thought he was going to win out in the chaos. I got to be honest. Um, I mean, you knew this fight was going to be a car crash in round one. And yeah. for how upright Todorovic is and how hard he gets hit, you knew also that Wright was going to have a really good round one. Because Wright hits really hard. He's got some slick technique. He's creative. He comes out of the gate on fire every single time. But, I'll be honest, though, I did think he, I, I really thought it was going to be a little bit different in the in the sense that I expected Wright to throw some funky stuff on the feet that yeah. caused damage. Yeah. I didn't expect him to uh, unleash ground and pound uh, to def- to fend off leg locks. I didn't see that coming. Yeah, you know, right? He's. I really, honestly, do think that he's a really technically at least offensively, a really technically well-rounded, well-schooled fighter, you know? Yeah. He's had a lot of training years with a lot of high-level guys. I don't think there's a lot of parts missing to his game. It's it's just, you know, I don't, I also just don't think he's somebody who enjoys fighting that much. Like, winning, sure, but... Well... I think he just doesn't enjoy rounds two or three very much. Nah, I, mean, I think it seems like he likes fighting when it's easy. And that's what, what I mean, saying. that's not that's not loving fighting. That's loving winning. You know, loving fighting is what Dusko Todorovic loves to fight. He's getting his ass beat for a round, and he's just marching right back out there, being like, 
I'm ready. Let's go after it. I'm going to bring everything to you again to see if you can do that to me. And, you know, Bright is not in that headspace. No, and I mean, we've seen that before. Like, I mean, yeah. Rumble Johnson was kind of that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where it, once you start feeling a little pushback, things just start to go south really quickly. Alexander Gossipson is kind of like that. These days. Yeah, Rampage. these days. Rampage. Rampage was famously yeah. that dude. Yeah. Like, he even talked about it. Like, I, I don't like to fight, you know? <laughs> there, it, it, It's a thing. And it's, it's just going to be tough for Wright at this stage and – his career it, it, on the in the UFC now he's just not going to get that many opponents who you know like Dushko Todorovic is not the toughest dude not the most technical dude not the most athletic dude in the middleweight division he's got a lot of guts and a lot of aggression and right couldn't handle that you know mm-hmm. yeah. now but you know it's kind of a ceiling thing I guess for right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like it's it's he's fighting. fun as shit though. Yeah, he's it's fun as hell to watch him go out there and do what he does. In a win or lose, he is absolutely a thrill. Uh, I just don't know. You know, people around him might want to be like, dude, do you really want to keep doing this? Because every time you lose, you are getting killed. Yeah, it's a rough sport, man. It, it is. really is. It it's is. not a game. Uh-uh. Bantamweight bout before that, my personal highlight of the night, the warm feeling deep inside. Yeah. Rafael Asuncao going out, rolling back the years, looking like 33-year-old Rafael Asuncao, taking it to Victor Henry in a real classic performance that reminds people just, you know, that I was tweeting about it during the past. Just like, remember, this is a dude who has beat both the champ and the challenger in the next Bantamweight title fight. Yeah, no shit. Like, there was a time, there was a there was a whole chunk of years where Rafael Suntau was that guy who the only reason he isn't champ is just because there's always one person in the division that can stop him. Mm-hmm. And that was it. He was number two. And um, he hasn't been that dude lately, but he showed up, you know, whatever, whatever it was that motivated him to apparently fly out to Las Vegas with no setup and no plan at all, other than to just knock on a, the door of extreme couture and say, Hey, let me train here for a while. That worked because he looked great. Yeah. Good for him. I mean, honestly, this would have been the worst loss of his career and that's not a shot at Victor Henry. He's a solid fighter, but look who he's been losing to like Marlon Moraes. Say what you want about him. He's, phenomenal fighter Shane Hagen he's at the he's at the very top Garbrandt you know he's had his issues but that that punch yeah exactly and then Ricky Simone is a hoss yeah so these are these are all top top 10 fighters and then Victor Henry is like you know just someone kind of on the rise like yeah unproven yeah he's a veteran Henry at this point is a veteran talent he's got a really fun well-schooled game but this, you know, this was a levels to this thing kind of thing where it's just like Henry was able to take a really busy style to somebody like Hani Barcelos, who wants to be aggressive and wants to meet you with aggression anyway. And so give gave Henry a lot of chances to land and just outwork 
Barcelos. But a sunset was all about taking tools away from you in the cage. Oh yeah, neutralize and then counter. That yep. was that was uh, classic of Sunset, honestly. Yep. So he did a great job just staying on his back foot, finding angles, landing jabs as Henry wanted to step in, catching kicks every time Henry didn't set him up, and then landing sharp counters on angles. And it's just it's beautiful to see. I love it. Someone yeah. else who's been – he's like Cub Swanson. He's been fighting since 2004 himself. Mm-hmm. He was a, He's a WEC veteran. So, yeah. Good to see a 40-year-old at this weight class doing work. Dude beat Jorge Masvidal in 2005. Yeah, that's nuts. Right? <laughs> so, I love to see it. Don't know what's next for Sunso. He talked about retirement. This would be a lovely fight to retire on. But, you know, if he could, if he can squeeze a couple more decent name fights out of this run, then I'd love to see that, too. <laughs> Uh yeah, um, you want to talk about someone who deserves to fight someone like uh, Dominic Cruz? Yeah, Here you exactly. go. That was a that was one that was like the fight too that was always eluding a sunset during his best years was or eluding him was Dominic Cruz was always either in fighting for the belt or too injured to fight anybody else. Right. So it'd be good to see him get a fight like that off of this one. Yeah. Put some respect on his name. Mm-hmm. All right. Heavyweight, light heavyweight bout before that. Lonzo Manafield, Misha Serkinov. I have to eat a little crow on this one because they're doing the intros. And they're like, Pat Barry is Alonzo Manafield's head coach now. And I'm out there. I'm like, oh, really? Is that, is that the best adjustment from Fortis and Safe Saoud to Pat Barry for Manafield? I don't know. I'm not. I am much less confident about my Menafield pick now. And uh, <laughs> credit to, you know what? Credit to Pat Barry because he had Menafield out there throwing hands and looking confident in the power he was bringing with it. And that is something that Menafield has needed his entire career. There's something to be said for hype. Yeah. Pat Barry is all hype. Yeah. And maybe that's what Menafield needed. He's always had the physical tools. Mm hmm. He's just. He needs somebody out there to just be like, dude, you're huge. Hit this guy really hard. Yeah, and I think Pat's the perfect guy for that. An yeah. undersized heavyweight who was sleeping people. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And the Minifield got the memo here on Serkinov. Yeah. You go out and you clean his clock. You don't give him yep. a second in there to do anything. You aggressively go after him and you take him out. Man, though, and talk about somebody and, who's – but go ahead, sorry. No, I was just just drooling over the finish. Yeah, that was pretty. Just to say, though, talk about somebody whose UFC career is is over now. Mm-hmm. Man, Misha Serkinov was like, he was the hype light heavyweight prospect. Came in, got four straight wins. Seemed like he was just on the cusp, but he's going to be a contender soon. And it has been almost all bad days ever since. Hmm. Yeah, too bad. Yeah, it's rough. He's he's someone who was never able to. Um, he was never. He's a fighter who was never really able to find a way to set up his own game. He's yeah. always someone falling victim to other people's games. He's got sick jujitsu, but he just can't get the fight there. Yeah, and, I, and you know he he came out too with like 
he had some pretty confident striking against like Iwan Kudalaba and stuff like that coming in. And I think the back-to-back knockouts to Ozdemir and Teixeira just kind of, I think they ever forever changed his the level of comfort and trust he had in himself standing. And he's he's paid for that repeatedly. Like you can't go out there and strike with somebody it, with light heavyweights who are all killers and who are all really powerful as a rule in that division. You can't be like, ah, oh, man, do I want to do I want to get hit by this guy? Because if you're thinking about that, like you're gonna get hit really hard. Just... Yeah, and you got to storm his castle, and yep. that's what Minifield did. So good on him. They'll probably end up doing like. Uh, I don't know, Serkinov versus, like, Yoel Romero over in Bellator. Oh, yeah, yeah. Or he'll be in PFL and get... Maybe he'll just get a bunch of dudes who are, like, natural middleweights fighting at light heavyweight who, you know, he can just swarm over. But uh, even then, just, you know, he's 35, Serkinov, and feels kind of like... the a very promising career that just slipped away. Yeah, it's uh it's kind of unfortunate because yeah. like I said, his jujitsu is really good. Like if he gets on top of you, you're in you're in huge trouble. But man, it's it's like he had a small window that quickly closed on him once people realized they can just storm his castle and get him out of there. Yeah. Like guys just don't respect they don't respect his stand up. Yeah. No, and at this, yeah, they know they they know he's not durable now, and he knows he's not durable now, and that's a deadly combo. Yeah. Uh, for Menafield, though, big win, love to see it. Would uh, absolutely be cool to see him maybe fight like Tyson Pedro. Sure, that's that's exciting. That'd be a fun one. Or um, Khalil Roundtree. Sure. That'd be yeah. a good one. A few good, really good fights out there for Menafield. Uh, and, you know, he's had his own hard setbacks, but it seems like it seems like he's still finding – he still is finding that confidence to go out there and fight the way he needs to to win. So I have faith that he'll, he'll keep improving on that track because he's got the physical tools to, yeah. to, to bank on. But now he's got Pat Barry in his ear. That's right. That's right. He's got his hype man out there. All right. That brings us to a Bantamweight bout. Mana Martinez uh, against Brandon Davis. And, um, man, I feel for Davis because there was, like, a clear path to making this fight good for him, and he just could not find it for the life of him until the third round. And, uh, now he's like two and seven in the UFC, just having a lot of trouble putting his game together at this level. Yeah, I mean, I'm not, I don't feel bad. He, he kind of seems like someone who's always been an overachiever. Yeah. So, like, I never really expected much out of him. Like, it, it always seemed like his best attribute was always his cardio. Yeah. Like, decent, you know, decent enough everywhere else, but really just his cardio was what seemed to stand out as, as okay, this is why you're fighting at this level. Yeah. Because um, he took a – he, I think he came into the UFC on really short notice. He came and, in off uh, the Contender Series. 
Oh, did he? Yeah, way back in like the first season. Yeah, but I don't think he got a um, a contract from that. He got passed up and then came in short notice to fight. Um, oh yeah, I'm pretty sure that's how that went down. Uh, no, I no, could he be. Did get a, he did get a contract off. Oh, uh, did he? Okay. Yeah. Oh well, good on him. But yeah, he always seemed uh like I didn't see anything like he didn't. He wasn't particularly venomous. Um, he wasn't, you know, really threatening with any sort of, you know, like high level wrestling. He just seemed like someone who, if you didn't manage your gas tank against him, he could rally on you and yeah. and put you in some hot water. But he just always kind of seemed over his head in the yeah. UFC. He just was he was a really busy fighter when he got there. And I think the uh, finding people finding out that people can hit him really hard just for walking in on them and trying to to be busy has taken the it's taken all the edge off of that of, of his aggression and so he gets a fight like this against mano martinez where he come round three he's turning it up he's starting to put that pressure on he's starting to throw and you know suddenly he's landing at will on martinez but he already gave away two rounds so it doesn't matter yeah, wasn't wasn't the greatest fight. And Mana is someone who he thrives in the chaos. Like he can't. I don't feel like he's someone who's just going to come out and just start picking you apart from range. Yeah, he's got to like create this weird, funky, unorthodox kind of situation, and then capitalize on you kind of not know what's going on in the chaos and throw some spinning shit at you and <laughs> you know catch you, just catch you with some funk. That I mean, I'm not I'm not sure if that's going to scale well. No, I don't think it will. I think, uh, you know, I was a little surprised this fight was even the featured prelim because it was just kind of like, yeah, these guys are just like the bantamweight division is is stacked with talent, and these guys are probably not in it. Not it. Was this always the featured prelim, or did this yeah. happen because we lost? Uh, nope. We lost it was always uh, the featured prelim. Okay. Yeah. All right, that brings us, though, to a middleweight bout. Jacob Malkoon, Nick Maximov. And, um, yeah, this kind of, I don't know, I, you know, I'm happy because I, I like seeing Jacob Malkoon win. He's a tiny middleweight. He's not a great athlete. He talked about after the fight that he doesn't really know how to throw kicks yet. <laughs> but he plans really well for how to beat guys. And Maximov was always going to be a tough challenge because he's a much bigger, stronger wrestler. So credit to Malkoon. Maximov gets hurt. Malkoon goes out there, works him for three rounds, gets the win. Um, but the, the, it didn't really otherwise say anything about either man in the fight. Yeah, especially because <laughs> you got a one-legged man out there. Yeah, yeah. I feel like you got to get the finish. Yeah, I you know, like he said, he, he doesn't kick people. He doesn't know. He, kicks are a little beyond his his range right now. But just a weird, funky fight. Um, good for Malkoon for getting the win. For Maximov, his corner really probably should have... They, they, they should have pulled the plug on him after, you know, at, at least after the second round. Mm, I don't know about that. He, he was, was standing his ground. But, was, like... He was stand. He was able to do just enough to prove that he was tough enough to still be out there, but he was never going to come back and win that fight. 
But it never he never gave off the appearance like he wanted out though. Well, of course he didn't want out. I'm just saying so that, like like that. <clears throat> I know fighters can get pissed off when when uh, someone yeah. stops their fight for them when they feel like they're not out of it. I know there there there's a coaching there, there's a problem in the fighter coaching relationship in the MMA culture over having your corner stop your fight that is deeper than Nick Maximov. Yeah, no, I mean, look at Deontay Wilder. He fired his corner for stopping yeah. his fight against um, uh, Fury, Tyson Fury. Yeah. So some of these guys' job could be on the line if you stop a fight. So It's true. But to be fair, his corner did tell him in the second round that if, if you know, he didn't have some better fight posture, they would throw in the towel. So yeah. at least they were considering it. Yeah. For what that's because he just hates to see like a guy's out there with a busted wheel, and like the only thing he's gonna do is make that injury worse, you know. But anyway, Falcon gets the win, Maximov gets some some PT and maybe surgery. All right, that brings us to a featherweight bout Joe Anderson Brito, Lucas Alexander. I kind of thought maybe Alexander could. Not win necessarily, but surprise Brito early with some some good power striking, make things fun for a round before Brito's physicality got to him. But man, Brito hit like a rock bottom. He absolutely <laughs> hossed Alexander out of the cage. No yeah. contest, no trouble, no no second thoughts. No, he treated him like a grappling dummy mm-hmm. <laughs> for sure. I'm surprised he didn't break his arm or something like that or dislocate his shoulder with those slams. Those were brutal. They really were. Yeah, just this was just a good old-fashioned, passionate ass-whooping. Yeah. Like, Alexander got ran right through. Um, not a lot to take away from this other than it just being a really cool finish. Performance bonus worthy, if you ask me. Absolutely. And, well, you know, the thing to take away from it is Brito did kind of a rare thing, which is you get a fight that you you get a matchup for you to shine. He's shown like you're getting a newcomer on short notice with a pretty limited record. Go out there and blow that guy up. Like, uh, well, shit. I mean, he did the same thing to Andre Feely. Yeah, he <laughs> did. I mean, yeah, he's dude has he has power. He has athleticism. He has a. A game that never stops going after people. He's fun to watch. And then he had a call out. He had a good call out. He called out Dan Ige. Yeah. And fifty K Ige. I didn't actually see Ige's response. I think you posted it. Uh, did you actually see what? what oh he- yeah, in the uh, in our Slack chat room. It's it's a funny video of him just looking all shocked and like walking back into some bushes the way Homer Simpson does. <laughs> <in> the one <laughs> <laughs> nah, it was cool. Real jovial and just kind of fun. Yep. It'd be a great fight, a great call out. I would otherwise love to see like Brito against Damon Jackson or, you know, against, I don't know, one of, let's see, who else is right around that area? Do, uh, Laurent huh? Murphy, Nate Landwehr. Like, oh, what Landwehr would be great. Oh, that would be so great. Those, if those the Ige thing happen. doesn't happen. Yeah, if the Ige fight doesn't happen. Ige is a good shout because Ige is ranked. He's on some losses. He needs a step back. Brito is he's new to the UFC, but he's got a long record. He's clearly com- an elite physical competitor. 
it's a great chance for him to cut in line. You know, just don't be surprised if he gay takes, you know, is being a little a little more factual than funny with that step back into the bushes and being like, no, nah, I don't need that. Uh, about. So Brito, he's only 27, but he looks every bit of 37. He really does. I need to see some ID on this guy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's got the, the that uh, Dominican baseball little leaguer <laughs> feel to him. <laughs> Yeah, it's pretty impressive. All right. That brings Looks like he's out here looking like Francisco Trinaldo at 27. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> uh, all right. That brings us to a one strawweight bout. Piero Rodriguez, Sam Hughes. And, um, you know, I this is, I think, a great showing for both women, honestly. Like, Hughes has been getting a lot better. She clearly had, like, for somebody who came into the UFC with basically a pressure wall install game, and that was it, no real wrestling, no real striking, no real grappling, just be aggressive and move forward all the time. Like, Hughes has added a lot to her game since then. Mm -hmm. She's becoming, you know, she's got a jab she's working, she's got takedowns she's working, she's staying hard-nosed, she's getting after people. And Pierre Rodriguez is just a much better schooled, much more technical fighter than she is. And Rodriguez showed that in a fight that was harder, you know, was difficult because Hughes didn't let up. Yeah, no, Hughes, Sam Page, she was a bit of a juggernaut here. Yeah. She just kept coming forward, um, kept trying to pressure, throwing some volume, um, but just couldn't really capitalize on it as she had hoped she would have um, just couldn't put Rodriguez in those bad positions. Um, to Hughes' credit, though, she was able to uh, spring back to her feet on several occasions. I thought mm-hmm. that showed a lot of grit. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, just kind of um, not outclassed. I don't want to say she was outclassed here, but um, I, I feel like she just couldn't find any kind of meaningful way to inflict damage. Yeah, she just, you know, she had her whole her whole thing is, you know, she's got to she's got to break people with her pace and pressure still. And she's got to be able to put stuff out there that doesn't isn't necessarily going to hurt her opponent really bad, but it's going to make them have to deal with her. And Rodriguez was just technical enough that she could deal with it the whole time. She could find an answer every time Hughes asked a question. And you know, that's good for Rodriguez. She showed up in a tough fight. She even talked about, like, you know, she's been working super hard on her cardio for this fight, making sure she didn't get, she got tired, but she was able to still find offense all the way through. So I, I think it's honestly just a, a decent showing for both women. Yeah, that's fair. And then that brings us to a flyweight, catchweight bat tets- bout Tatsuya Tyra, CJ Vergara, and um, honestly, I'm gonna be I'm I'm impressed from from Tyra in this fight. Like, is it Tyra or Tyra? Uh, Tyra. Tyra. I don't know. Tyra. Either way, he looks fantastic. Yeah. Like he, he really... looks he looks insanely fantastic here. Like the way he was able to get the fight down and mm-hmm. showcase some excellent control while he was there. Uh, just man, yeah. 
and the way he went for that rear naked choke and tried so many different ways of setting it up before ultimately just transitioning to an arm bar to get the tap. That was so smooth. It was it was really slick stuff. Belly down at that. Yeah. Especially to me for with Vergara coming off a win over Cledson Rodriguez, who I you know, I, I feel is just about every bit the prospect Tyra is. Like Vergara's pressure broke Rodriguez in that fight. And mm-hmm. Tyra, he he just showed, you know, he showed his quality that he just had an instant answer. It's like, oh, if you're gonna pressure me, I can eat, I can hit these body lock takedowns all day. If you're gonna come in and you're gonna give me a clinch, I can handle that every single time. And that's you know, that's really showing up in a tough style matchup for because for a young fighter, especially like that Japanese circuit does not teach fighters volume striking. Mm-hmm. And so for Tyra, who's got a pretty low output style, to just have exactly the right answer for a high pressure, really tough, just aggressive, swarming fighter like Vergara, I love to see it. Yeah, I'm curious to see how uh, how his he's got a real submission based style, mm-hmm. and that's kind of tough to have at flyweight. That's not um, it's not yeah, really the norm. So well, yeah, but it's I mean. Everyone at the top of that division scrambles well. Yeah. So I'm curious. I mean, he's only 22. Yep. So I'm, I got my eye on him for sure. Yeah. Prospect watch. This was a good test. Uh, one of those under the radar. Nobody's going to nobody's gonna sing your praises just for winning this fight except me, apparently. But, uh, you know. You know, it's fantastic. Like, yeah. just that finishing sequence was just phenomenal. Yeah. It really was. To me, this is this is the exactly the kind of it's a stumbling block that a lot of prospects uh, fight fighters like Vergara are a stumbling block that a lot of prospects fail at. I feel like we rarely see arm bars at, at 125 pounds too. We don't see many arm bars in the UFC in general these days. Like, they're, they're getting fewer and far and further between, but yeah. Flyweight, especially not. Yeah. All right. That brings us to a welterweight bout, Pete Rodriguez, Mike Jackson, and, um, I got some, somebody pushed back a little bit on me for saying that the, that the UFC did Mike Jackson dirty. But, like, I don't... I don't know at what point in any of the fights that Mike Jackson has had that, you, that, that anybody with matchmaking responsibility in the UFC would have looked at him and thought that he was ready for these kinds of fights. Like, I know Pete Rodriguez is only, like, four and one, but... This is not these were not this is not a fight that Mike Jackson should have ever been taking. Yeah, but it's probably the only thing they offered him and they're probably trying to get him off their contract. Yeah, I'm just saying you can just cut the dude. Mm. Mm. Yeah, maybe. He got knocked dead. You know? It's like, probably cleaner to just get him off the contract. Let him fight his I'm, contract I'm not, saying, out. I'm not saying it's not cleaner and he got paid, so I'm not even saying that it's way better for you know it would be way better for jackson just to not be there All right, let this. me say it like this zane i think dana white was severely pissed off at the way that whole cm punk fight went down with mike jackson that yeah. this is what dana wanted the whole time he thought he was gonna be the last time and that's why i'm just- saying that's why i'm saying the ufc did him dirty because like they you know they, no, they, they didn't do him dirty zane that's not fair because no. Mike Jackson signed up for this fight. 
he did, but you can find, you know, like you can find a hundred people who aren't pro athletes and sign them up to the UFC and they'll be, they would love to take a fight. It doesn't mean you're, you're not taking advantage of their enthusiasm to get them hurt. Yeah. But if they piss you off, it's like, well, <laughs> then it's fair. <laughs> well, it's, it's to be expected, you know, I, I know this is prize fighting Zane. This isn't, you know, this isn't baseball. I know. I'm just saying that. I, you know, they got to, there has to be some culpability when you're making fights with guys like this. You've got to be, you know, you're the biggest fighting sports platform in the world. You don't need to be signing random part-time fighters to fill out the bottoms of a card and get absolutely crushed. Well, but they, they brought him in for CM Punk. I know, I know. They didn't need to do that either. That is the stupidest well, circus stunt that this promotion has ever done in its life. Well, I mean, uh, they've signed Hezbollah to some sort of right contract now. So I don't that, know, dude. Have you seen that? Have you seen the the new rock shoe? That thing is hideous. That might be the worst thing we've ever done. Yeah, I just meant it in a sporting sense, in, oh. in a purely sporting sense. The CM Punk thing was a laughable clown show. Nah, it's like, but like Dana White's so petty, or he can be. I mean, look what he. He tried to do to Nate Diaz. Hamzat, what? I know, I know. I'm just, I'm saying, I hate seeing, I hate seeing a fight like this where a mile out, you can just say, hey, Mike, Mike Jackson's going to get absolutely knocked into the, into the ether in the first round of this fight. And, you know, that's what happened. Well, you got to look to the MMA god, Zane. When 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 the UFC tried to do this to Nate Diaz, they stepped in. They're not stepping in for Mike Jackson, okay? <laughs> it's it is what it is. I just we got I got to call it like it is too. It's just it's you know it's 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 club level. It's shoddy. I don't it's, care. I think I it's know. perfectly fine. I know you think it, you, you are a cold-hearted son of a bitch. <laughs> Not even. I just—it's what they signed up for. Like, I, yeah, like I said, you can get people to sign up for all sorts of things. It doesn't mean that you're like a good person for letting them sign up for it. You can't let him fight out his contract. Yeah, no, he did. Apparently, I'll put it to you this way: Mike Jackson should have never been in his last fight with Dean Barry, and he nope. came away with a win. Yeah, yeah, that's. That was also like it's just been a clown show all the way through. <laughs> it's absolutely a bit. Yeah, and I'm fine with when freak show fights or freak show uh, endeavors end up like this. This is yeah. If you're gonna do freak shows, like give me some like celebrity freaks at least. You know, at least CM Punk was a celebrity freak, but they should have ma- they should have matched him with like another pro wrestler or something. You know, give me something really cartoony. Hey, we could see Logan Paul in the UFC or something. Yeah, you know what? And if they matched him with like, like the the stuff that the Paul brothers have been doing, I'm perfectly fine with that. That is exactly the right level of like carnival sideshow trash to me. Logan Paul versus Bo Nickel. What's up? (laughs) Could happen. It would be really cruel if it did. But a lot of people would feel a lot of catharsis, so maybe that. I would love to see it. I love. Yeah. There's not enough freak show fights in the UFC, if you ask me. No, I mean the, the UFC has gotten well away from the, the MMA roots of putting on the, you know, put, putting uh, Jose Canseco 
in the ring with Hongman Choi. <laughs> right, right. All right, we're well off script at this point, so I'm going to wrap this up. You can find me on Twitter at these Time. You can find Eddie on Twitter at the Eddie Mercado. You can find both of us over at bloodyelbow.com. Give us a give give us a like. Subscribe to our podcasts over on the Bloody Elbow Presents Podcast Network on SoundCloud, YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, all those podcast places. And we will be back in one week's time for UFC 280, Oliver vs. Makachev. Finally. Finally. All right, everybody. Adios. Thank you for tuning in to this Bloody Elbow Presents production. To check out more of our content, subscribe to our YouTube channel, which is titled Bloody Elbow Presents. We're also on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, Overcast, Player FM, and Amazon Music. Just search for Bloody Elbow Presents and you'll get brand new shows throughout the week, including Care Don't Care, the Level Change Podcast, the MMA Bivis Section, the 6th Round Post-Fight Show, 6th Round Retro, the MMA Depressed Us, Crooklyn's Corner, Exclusive Fighter Interviews, Show Money, Guest Podcasts, The Hey Not The Face Podcast, and Radio Style Play-By-Play for every UFC pay-per-view. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Bloody Elbow, Facebook at Facebook.com slash Bloody Elbow Blog, and as always, on bloodyelbow.com. <laughs>